Good morning, congregation. A warm welcome to all visitors worshipping with us today. Council had the following announcement. Due to the departure of Elder Clarence de Vries, Council invites the congregation to submit names of eligible candidates for the office of Elder. Signed letters will be received until August 29, 2011. Arrestation has been requested by Robert Howling to the Canadian Reformed Church of Vernon. Today, we welcome Reverend Salmon of the Willoughby Canadian Reformed Church to lead our worship service. Our song of approach is Psalm 43, the verses 1, 3, and 4. Brothers and sisters, please rise. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Amen. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let us now in response to the greeting of the Lord 
sing from Psalm 27, standards 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, let us now listen to the ten words of the covenant which we received from the Lord our God, the God of the covenant. And then let us sing in response to that from Psalm 32, stanzas 1 and 5. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. 
Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, nor daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The Lord summarized this law with these words. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments.
Brothers and sisters, we now pray to the Lord our God. Almighty God, Father in heaven, we come before your holy throne at the morning of this day, this first day of the week, this day of rest. And we thank you that we can come before you as your people, that we can be here together, that we can be glad in you, our Lord, rejoicing, that we may exult in you, our jubilation voicing, because we may be righteous in your sight. Righteous only through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, only through your grace, which we receive by faith. Father, it is such a wonderful thing, because we know that we don't deserve it. We know our sinfulness. We know that we transgress all your commandments every day again. And we pray for forgiveness. Father, cleanse us in the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. But then we also praise your holy name that you give us, that forgiveness of sins, that you give us new life in Jesus Christ, that we may live with him. And that now we may live with you within the covenant every day again. And we praise your holy name. Now we have come together as your people here in church to listen again to the preaching of your word, to be encouraged by it, and also to respond to them in our thanksgiving, in our praise. Father, will you bless us then now that we are together to listen to your word, bless the preaching of your word, will you work in such a way that our hearts are opened for your word and work in our hearts with your Holy Spirit. Give us faith, strengthen our faith, build us up in love for you and for each other. And will you glorify your name also in this worship service. We accept our sacrifices of thankfulness which we bring to you in all that we do. And hear our prayer. In the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let us now read from God's Word, from the letter of Paul to the Romans, chapter 4. We read Romans 4, there we read the word of God as it comes to us through the Apostle Paul. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this manner? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. 
However, to the man who does not work but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith, while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is a father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abram had before he was circumcised. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless, because law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Thus far the scripture reading, let us now sing from Psalm 27, the stanzas 3 and 6.
brothers and sisters, our response to the preaching of the Word of God is hymn 55. So let us sing after the sermon, hymn 55, all three stanzas. And the text for the preaching of God's Word is from Romans 4, verse 3. Let us read that verse again. Romans 4, verse 3. What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Brothers and sisters, beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches us that by faith we are children of Abraham. But what does it mean that by faith we are children of Abraham? God chose Abraham and made his covenant with Abraham, and within the covenant, He promised to be Abraham's God and the God of his descendants, and that they would be his people. Abraham believed these promises. And part of these promises was also the salvation, the blessing which would come from Abraham. One of his descendants would bring salvation, and through him all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. In the Old Testament, God already made it clear that all those who did not keep the covenant, all those who did not act in faith, that they had to be removed from among God's people. At the same time, we can see that others from outside of Israel came to God's people and became a member of God's people. Because they believed. For instance, Ruth. She even became part of the genealogy of David and of the Lord Jesus. And that continues in the New Testament. Many of the Jews rejected Christ. And with that they rejected the promises which God gave to Abram. And with that they did not act in faith. At the same time, we see many from the heathen people who do accept and believe Christ and God's promises in faith. And they come to Israel, and they may now belong to Israel, while the unbelieving Jews are considered not to belong to Israel anymore. And there we see that by faith we are counted as children of Abraham. We are also part of the covenant which God made with Abraham. And now God demands us also to believe and accept his promises. Now that we belong to the covenant, he tells us not to reject him. And that is what is being preached to us here in church every Sunday again. That is the gospel that comes to us this morning in Romans 4, in which I proclaim to you. And it is a theme. God declares Abraham 
righteous. And first, we see the reason for declaring him righteous. Second, the way of declaring him righteous. And third, the results of declaring him righteous. God declares Abraham righteous. First, the reason. At the end of chapter 3 of the letter of Paul to the Romans, it becomes very clear that we don't have anything to boast in. Chapter 3, that is a chapter in which Paul quotes from the Old Testament that no one is righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. And then he concludes that we have nothing to boast in. It's all only through faith. It all comes from God. And then even our faith is given to us by God through the Holy Spirit. So when Paul says that Abraham is righteous only by faith, then he continues to prove that it's not by anything from ourselves, but all from God. He, Paul uses Abraham as an example to explain what he said at the end of chapter 3. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And with that, Paul does not put aside the law. He does not nullify the law, but he upholds the law. Paul explains that Abraham's faith came first. Before he was circumcised, Abraham believed. And then what Abraham did, his circumcision, but also all that came before his circumcision, leaving his land, his people, his father's household, it was all out of faith. If he wouldn't have had faith, he would not have left Haran and his father's household. Leaving his country and later also circumcision, it was all an act of faith. Indeed, in circumcising himself and all the male members of his household, Abraham showed that he believed in God. But before he could believe, God first came with his promises. Because how can you believe if there is nothing to believe? And therefore the Apostle Paul explains this in verse 7 and 8 that God first came with the forgiveness of sins. And Paul quotes there Psalm 32. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. These promises came first. The promise of forgiveness of sin. God's grace. Abraham did not first circumcise himself and, and thereafter God came with his promises. But God came to him and said, these are the promises. Now accept them. And Abraham did. And then thereafter he did what God told him to do. Leaving his country, circumcision, but then we see that Abram trusted in God completely. His faith changed his entire life. Believing God meant for him that he gave up his former way of life. That indeed he did leave Haran and his father's household. And that he did go to live in Canaan as a stranger. So believing God's promises was not just an act of saying, I do, 
I believe, and then continuing his life in the same way as he did before? No. Believe in God meant for Abraham that then he also did what God told him to do. Because that was the way in which God would fulfill his promises. God promised to Abraham to give him descendants. And also that these descendants would receive a country, a land, which God would give them as an everlasting inheritance. Well, what if Abraham said, I believe, thank you God, but then he did not go to that country. If he wouldn't have gone to that country, then God's promises would not come to fulfillment. Because then Abraham himself would hinder the fulfillment of God's promises. And his faith would not have been real faith. But because Abraham believed God's promises, he did what God told him to do. That was part of his faith. He acted in faith. If you look with me at Hebrews 11, verse 8 through to 12, there we read about Abraham, about his faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abram, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father, because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from his one man, he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, as countless as the sand on the seashore. That's all by faith, Hebrews 11 says. And then we also read about them, these all, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Especially that, what I said in verse 15, is important for us now. Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, they all believed God, although they did not see the fulfillment of their promises. They believed it, and in faith they only saw it from a distance. And it was their faith which made them live in Canaan. If they did not believe in God, then they would not have been in Canaan. Then they would have stayed in or returned to Haran. Well, brothers and sisters, if we think about that, what faith meant for Abraham, and that is being used in Romans 4 as an example for us, that makes it clear to us that believing God's promises, it has consequences. Believing is not just saying, I believe. I do. No, but if you really believe, 
then that means that you will also act. Act in faith. And then you will act differently than those who don't believe. Can we say that Abraham's faith made him worthy to receive the promises of God? No. God gave it to him without any merit of his own. And it was by faith, it was faith by which Abraham accepted it and received it. Still without any merit of his own. And the Apostle Paul still wants to emphasize what he said at the end of chapter 3, boasting is excluded. And that also becomes clear in the life of Abraham. It all comes from God. God gives him what he did not deserve. God imputes to him what he did not have. Abraham believed God, and God credited to him as righteousness. And in the second place, we see the way of declaring Abraham righteous. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And what does that mean, credited to him? This word is used several times in this chapter, 11 times. It is with that central word in this chapter and also in our text. The word used here in Greek is also translated with another word which we know from the Heidelberg Catechism. That word is impute. It is in Lord's Day 23 where this word is being used. God imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. And impute, to impute, that, that means that God gives us something as our own, as if it is our own, as if we did it ourselves, although we don't deserve it. It is out of mere grace. If God credited Abram's faith to him as righteousness, then that means that Abram is righteous before God, although he did not earn that righteousness based on his own deeds. God gives it to him without any merit of his own. God declares him righteous. He gives to Abraham what Christ obtained for him. Although Christ still had to come in the days of Abraham. But in Christ, Abraham was already righteous. And we must not forget that it is not only here in Romans 4 that we read these words. These words come from Genesis 15, verse 6. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. And already there in the Old Testament, God imputes to Abraham what he has in Christ. Already in the Old Testament, God can speak about imputation. Already there, Abraham was declared righteous. And it was only possible through the work of Christ. Christ to whom Abraham looked forward. Christ to whom we also must look. And whom we must believe as well. And through his work and accepting it in faith, God will also give it to us, that righteousness which Christ obtained for us. God will also impute to us the righteousness of Christ. Through faith we are children of Abraham. Through faith we belong to the descendants of Abraham and to God's people. And we receive the same promises as Abraham did although we live now after the coming of Christ. But still also to us, God speaks his word and reveals his promises. 
And also for us, it is only by faith that we will receive this righteousness. But then, brothers and sisters, also for us, it is important to realize what it means. That God speaks to us and that He comes to us with His promises and that He demands faith. God does not call us to leave our country and our father's household and to go to a completely unknown country to live there as strangers. But still for us, believing God is more than just saying, yes, I believe. Believing God will change our entire lives. True faith is following God so completely trusting in Him that our life becomes totally different. And thus, we are being made righteous by God. God imputes to us the righteousness of Christ. That means that God declares us righteous. But when God declares us righteous, then that does not mean that God declares a sinful life righteous and that we can continue in sinful life. That from now on, God does as if we are righteous. No. God does not do as if. If God says, then it is so. We know from the Bible that when God speaks, then His Word is also a Word that creates. What God says, that happens. When God said, let there be light, then there was light. And now we must also say, when God declares us righteous, then we are righteous. And that means that at the moment that God speaks, then He changes us. God speaks, and it is so. And how does God then declare us righteous? When we look at Lord's Day 31 of the Heidelberg Catechism, then there it is clear that it is through the preaching of the gospel that we are declared righteous. In other words, that the kingdom of heaven is opened for us. In Lord's Day 31, question 84, there we read, according to the command of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is opened when it is proclaimed and publicly testify to each and every believer that God has really forgiven all their sins for the sake of Christ's merits, as often as they, by true faith, accept the promise of the gospel. And then we also know from Lord's Day 25 that when the word of God is preached in the church, then the Holy Spirit works. Lord's Day 25 summarizes that from Romans 10 and other texts where Paul says that faith is by hearing the word of God. So at the moment that God declares us righteous here in church, during the worship service, at the same moment the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts so that we are not just declared righteous, but so that our lives are becoming real lives of righteousness. Just as Abraham acted when he believed God and he went to Canaan, so for us, faith is not a state of mind. But faith is a deed. It is an act. Do what God tells you to do. Abraham went because he believed in God. He left his old world, his old country. And in the same way, when we believe, we will act. Because it is impossible to believe and not to act according to your faith. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. He works faith in us. And that faith is that we do what God tells us to do. 
And that way God not only declares us righteous, but he also makes us righteous. So that our deeds are righteous as well. And that all through the preaching of God's word, God declares us righteous every time when God's word is preached here in church. Every time we accept his word in true faith. That is what is happening here in the worship service. It is not just a speech of a man who is standing here on the pulpit and telling you his own opinions. No, it is the word of God that is being preached to you and that declares you righteous. Or it declares that God's wrath and eternal condemnation rest on you if you don't listen and don't accept God's word in faith. And therefore, brothers and sisters, it is impossible to say that the preaching doesn't do anything to you. If God's word is proclaimed in a church, then it works. And it does not remain without effect. So, brothers and sisters, what does it do to you to sit here in church? What does it do to you when God comes to you with his declaration to declare you righteous? Are you thankful? Do you receive it with thankfulness? Or do you say, no, thank you. I'm not interested. Therefore, when God speaks to you, then you sit straight and show reverence. And you pay attention when God speaks. Because it is God who comes to you in the preaching of the word. Therefore, listen and believe. And then the word of God puts you to work. You cannot go after the worship service and do nothing. The word of God preached here in church every week again calls you to take up your Bible and to read it and to study it because it is your desire to know more about it. It is a word in which God declares you righteous. And of course, when you hear something like that, you want to know more about it. And of course, you want to study that word. And of course, you want to put it into practice. And to live accordingly. And then we see in the third place the result of declaring him righteous. That God declares us righteous and at the same time makes us righteous through his spirit. That means that he works in us through his spirit to give us a new life. Eternal life. And that is indeed part of the promise. The whole promise of the covenant is that God will give us the, give us the righteousness of Christ out of mere grace. And because of that righteousness, we have forgiveness of sins. We have a new life, an eternal life. And our Lord Jesus Christ uses the example of a tree. And also John the Baptist mentioned this example. John even warns the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those who were in the eyes of the Israelites the most righteous people, they got this warning from John. He says to them in Matthew 3, verse 9 and 10, And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So often we separate faith and good works. And then we say that we must believe. 
And then thereafter, we talk about showing our thankfulness by our good deeds. And that often brings us also into trouble while reading Romans 4, verse 3, and comparing it to what James says in chapter 2, James 2, about faith and good works. In James 2, James also quotes the same text from Genesis 15, which Paul quotes in our text, in James 2, verse 23. The scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Well, even many modern theologians struggle with these two texts from Romans and James. Both quote the same text from Genesis and it looks like they both say the opposite things. But if we follow the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and of John the Baptist, when they speak about that tree, for instance, as we just read, a good tree that produces good fruit, and when we follow the teaching of God in His Word, then it must be clear to us that good works, they belong to faith, inseparably. That Abram did what God told him to do and left his land, his people, and his father's house Was that just faith or was it a good work, brothers and sisters? It was a good work. And that Abraham circumcised himself and all the male members of his household, was that faith, just faith, or was it a good work? It was a good work. That Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac, was it faith, or was it a good work? It was a good work. These were all acts of Abraham. But then Hebrews 11 says that it is all by faith. Do I say then something different than the Bible says when I say that it was all good works? No. Because it was all acts of faith. Abram acted out of faith because he believed God. Because that he did what God told him to do. So believing, having faith, that means that it is not easy. Just believe it, and that is it. As a kind of life insurance for your eternal life. No. Faith, that is to trust in God completely. Completely depend on Him in everything. Give up everything because you believe that what God says is true. That is faith. That is what Abraham did. That is what we are called to do. We can recognize a tree by its fruit. When we say that is an apple tree, but when we look at it in the fall and it produces pears, then we were wrong. It wasn't an apple tree. And if we say he is a believer, but in his deeds we can't see anything of it, and we see only bad fruits, Aren't we wrong then? Just as an apple tree will produce apples and not pears, so a believer will bring forth good works. It's part of the believer. And when we say that we have to do good works, then sinning is not just a falling short in doing good works, falling short in in thankfulness, 
But sinning is with that an act of unbelief. If we don't give up sin, then we don't believe. If we continue in a worldly life, then it is what Hebrews 11 says about Abram, Isaac, and Jacob in verse 15, what I mentioned before, that they could have gone back to their country, to Haran. If we don't want to give up sin and want to return to a worldly sinful life, then indeed we can do so. But that then is an act of unbelief. Then we show that we don't believe God and don't want to accept His promises. What if Abraham decided after God appeared to him, well, it is all nice what God says, but it takes so long and I'd rather stay here, I'd rather stay in my own country, i stay among my own family. Wouldn't that be rejecting God's promises? And therefore, brothers and sisters, we should not separate faith and good works as, as two separate entities. That is impossible. When we have faith, then we are righteous. And when God declares us righteous, then that means that He makes us righteous. And that His Spirit works in us. And when God's Spirit works in us, then we don't have this world as our country, but then we belong to the people of God. And then we act like the people of God. And that is the reason, brothers and sisters, that the Word of God warns us not to continue in our sins. Those sins, they can choke our faith. Just as it happened to the seeds in the parable of the sower, Matthew 13. Part of the seeds fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. And that happens when all kinds of worldly desires are important in our lives. It is again not just a falling short in our thankfulness. It is about choking your faith by all those evil desires. Therefore, it is important for your life's sake to flee from all sin because it takes away faith. It does. And not only from sexual sins which are so rampant in our society, but also from the temptations of all kinds of other things, alcohol, drugs, which can become addictive. Also from all the terrible evil things that come into your mind when you listen to godless music or watch so many blasphemous movies nowadays. Listen to what they sing or what those movies promote. Think about it. That is blasphemy. Or it encourages you to sin against God's commandments. And by repeating it time and again, that can make you immune for God's commandments. It weakens your resistance against sin. Isn't that what happens when you're watching movies and you hear people swearing and cursing? First time you cringe. After a few times, well, you're used to that. You don't even notice it. But it is sin. Now, for your life's sake, it is also important to address the power of money in your lives and the desires for wealth, which can make us so busy that we don't have time for Bible study and for the communion of saints. Or that we even come into temptation to start doing all kinds of things on Sundays which take away from the Sunday as day of rest. Don't give any room to sin and Satan, because if you do so, it can choke your faith. Living a life in sin is not just that you don't show enough thankfulness, it is rejecting God's promises. It is not wanting to believe. Just like it was an act of unbelief of Abraham 
to go to Egypt and act as if Sarah was his sister. And it was through an act of God to Pharaoh and his household that Abram was chased out of Egypt, back to Canaan. Also in our lives, God time and again tells us to turn back from our evil ways. Not because he wants to make it difficult to us, but because he wants us to believe his promises and believe him and live. When we have another look at Lord's Day 31, which I quoted before already, but now question is 85. Then we read about church discipline. According to the command of Christ, people who call themselves Christians, but show themselves to be unchristian in doctrinal life, are first repeatedly admonished. Show themselves to be unchristian in doctrinal life. That is when you continue in sin. God does not want any one of his people to perish. He wants them all to receive eternal life and to be righteous through faith. And that is why he instituted church discipline. That is why he told us to encourage and admonish each other whenever there is sin. And to believe that we are righteous only by faith. And that faith is to follow Christ. Take up your cross and follow Christ. Go the way he tells us to go. And that he will lead us to the fulfillment of all God's promises. And he returns on the clouds of heaven. Amen.
Brothers and sisters, you now receive the opportunity to give to the Lord your sacrifices of thankfulness. And after the offerings, let us then sing together from Psalm 44, the stanzas 1 and 3.
Let us now pray and give thanks to God. Lord Almighty God, Father in heaven, you are the God of glory. And you show your glory in your wonderful deeds, which you did in the creation of the universe, which you also did in your beautiful work of salvation for your Son, Jesus Christ. A work that would never come up in human minds. It's too wonderful for us to come up with. Sometimes even too wonderful to understand. But you gave your one and only Son to suffer and to die for us human beings who were disobedient to you and transgressed all your commandments. And that you show your love to us in sending your one and only Son. And that now we may live with you within the covenant of love. And now we pray, Father, will you give us faith and will you work in us that in faith we believe you with all our heart and soul and mind and love you and live according to your holy will because we know that it is good. And we also live in love with our neighbor. Help us then to fight against all our enemies, the devil in the world, even our own old evil heart, our old nature. We fight against that sinful nature. And more and more we are living a new life that we receive in our Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this worship service. And we pray that you bless the preaching of your word that we may be strengthened and encouraged by it. Father, bless us every day of our lives. Give us that we may remain faithful to you in all that we do. That we may show in our lives that we are different from those who don't believe. That we don't belong to this world. And that we belong to you. Father, we bring thanks to you for all the blessings which you may receive every day again from your fatherly hand, that we may experience your care over us. We thank you with Henry and Kim Kineker that they may celebrate the coming week, their 25th anniversary. We thank you for all blessings you gave to them and continue to be with them in the future as well, that they may continue to, to put their trust in you and expect everything from you. Father, be with each and every one of us, each of us on our own place, whether we are married or not. Give us that in our lives we may remain faithful to you and that we also may be a blessing to others. Father, we pray for those who are traveling. Protect them, keep them in your care. We thank you for those who could return home safely over the past week. Be also with those who are going to travel. Give them all that they may have a good journey and that they may enjoy their time away. Be also with those who stay home during this summertime. Give them also that they may receive a good time, a relaxing time. Father, we pray for the minister, Reverend Lodder, and his family, that they may enjoy their vacation, 
uh, they are traveling as well. Give them a good time that they may be refreshed and strengthened again, uh, that they may have a good time together with others in Ontario, and give them that they may come back safely again in due time. Father, we ask you to be also with the elders of your congregation. Give them all the wisdom and insight to fulfill their tasks, to lead this congregation in your way. That they also may be examples to the flock. Examples in love and in faithfulness. And that also in that way they may lead your flock. Be with the deacons. Give them all that they need to fulfill their task and that they may encourage us as congregation to be a communion of saints in which we all may encourage and support each other with all the means which you give to us, with all our gifts and talent. That we all may encourage each other to share in Christ and all his benefits. Father, we pray be with us this day of rest. Give us that we may enjoy the rest which we receive from you. Bring us here again also this afternoon. And give us also then a good worship service. But also there, we may be strengthened in our faith by the preaching of your word. And also by the sacrament of baptism. And that your name may be glorified. Father, we pray this all in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us now sing hymn 71, The Hope of Faith Shall Not Deceive Us. Let us sing both stanzas.
brothers and sisters, lift up your hearts to the Lord. Receive his blessing and depart in peace. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.